Good morning. Hey, man. You know what? Like I said before, I am a mic holder. So, <laughs> hope everyone's doing well this morning. It was an awesome dance. Uh, thank you, ladies. Uh, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. Um, All right, this is new, so I'm going to steal this water. All right. So like Ted said, it's hard to hold a mic and, you know, twist the water bottle <laughs> top at the same time, apparently. So, but uh, as Ted said, we're reading through the book of Leviticus. And so I just wanted to, you know, really get us started with that. Um, uh, yeah, because we haven't, you know, had any teachings on Leviticus yet, but, <clears throat> excuse me, but, uh, I think it's, yeah, I wanted to get it started with that. And so I, I was like looking around and uh, why don't we pray? First of all, let's pray. All right. Dear Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for how good you are, Lord God, to us. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we can just be here today um, worshiping you, Lord God, together, uh, hearing your word, Lord, um, celebrating you, Lord, this morning. So we just give you praise and honor. We thank you for this time we can share together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there are all kinds of warnings in life, right? And most products that we purchase, you know, has, they have warnings on them. Warning labels, you know, about improper use, you know, and I found a great list of, of different warnings that, you know, all kinds of warnings on different, uh, on different products and things like that. So, you know, believe it or not, these are, are for real, right? And so there's a, a label on a, on a snow sled that says, you know, beware, sled may develop high speed under certain snow conditions, right? <laughs> these are like actual warnings. You know, another one says on a fishing lure, says with a warning that reads, harmful if swallowed. <laughs> you know, I guess they have to put warnings on these, on these uh, products. And it says a warning on an electric router, you know, made for carpenters, you know, where you, you know, go and, well, I don't know if you know what a router is, but uh, it says this product is not intended, you know, for use as, as, in dental, as a dental drill. This is like really warn the real warnings, you know, uh, a ship on a shipment of hammers. It says may be harmful if swallowed. <laughs> you know, a warning label found on the baby stroller cautions the user to remove the child before folding, right? <laughs> and you know, the deodorant spray says don't spray it in your eyes. Please do not spray this in your eyes. A cartridge for you know a laser printer says do not eat the toner. Yeah, so you know, on a, uh, on you know, don't you know the uh, the sun visors that you put in your car, you know, to keep the sun out when you know when it's hot on a hot sun, summer day. It says, it says, uh, uh, it says, you know, do not drive with sunshield in place. <laughs> you know, you know, and we laugh, we laugh at these, and, and we think, who could be dumb enough, right, to need such warnings? But apparently. You know, there are some, well, never mind, I'm going to say dumb people, but, <laughs> but apparently there's a, you know, a need for these warnings, right? You know, this is, the, this is the exact attitude that many people have towards the Bible. They have the same attitude, you know, towards the Bible, you know, especially the Old Testament, right? 
You know, and who can blame them? You know, it's, you know people are like, oh, this is the Old Testament. Who needs these warnings? This is like so outdated. Oh, my goodness. No, why are you even bringing this up? You know, the title Old Testament suggests that something is antiquated or out of date. That's what it suggests. You know, some, some say that, you know, that the Old Testament is irrelevant since Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law. People think that. And what about, you know, all that blood sacrifice? I'm sure God does not intend for us to revert to that old ritual, right? He doesn't, he doesn't expect us to do that, right? You know? But I would say to you that the Old Testament is more than an ancient book of, of history. It has relevance beyond a nice little Sunday school story. The Old Testament is powerful and effective. It's powerful and effective. And as Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, he said all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, you know, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what Paul said. You know, the word, the word Paul referring to, you know, was the law of Moses, or what we call today the Old Testament. That's what he was referring to. So what does the book of Leviticus have to tell us? Leviticus is a book of sacrifice and blood. That's what it is. You know, the, sacrifice, the sacrificial system, you know, uh, was given to, to point out to man, you know, that, they, that the way uh, to God. It's, he, it pointed out to man that the way to God was, was through the blood of a perfect substitute. And that substitute is Jesus. That substitute is Jesus. So, to begin, as we may know, you know, Leviticus is part of the Pentateuch. For those of you who don't know what that is, you know, that's the first five books of the, of the law, right? The first five books of the Bible. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and, you know, Leviticus is one of those, right? It's, it's in that, in that you know, in that list. So it was written, you know, by Moses during the period of, uh, you know, that the nation of Israel was in the wilderness. You know, it derives its name from the tribe of Levi. And the Levites were the priests, right? You know, Ted was like, oh, he thought I was going to wear an ephod like Aaron, you know, because Aaron was a priest, you know. And that's what the, Le the, the Levites were the priests, and they, made, they wore ephods, and they were responsible for all the goings-on in the tabernacle, in the ministering of the sacrifices. That's what they were in charge of. And the key thought of Leviticus is holiness. It's holiness. You know, critical to the understanding of the book of Leviticus is that holiness is not some abstract theological concept. It's not. No, but it's an actual foundation for the power of God's presence, you know, at work in the life of the individual or the nation. That's what it is. You know, the word holy appears more than 80 times in the book. Appears more than 80 times. So the call of God in the book of Leviticus is for the people of God to be holy and pure before God. That was their call. No, it's divided, in, in, in the book is basically divided into two sections, right? Chapters 1 through 10, we find, you know, the way to the Holy One, right? 
And in chapters 11 to 27, we find the way of holiness. You know, in the first part, you know, we find, we find a God who says, I am holy. Right? In the second half, we find a God who says, therefore, you need to be holy. Because I'm holy, you be holy. And today we're going to, talk, we're going to concentrate on the first part. Because Ted told me the other day that I can't preach out of chapter 19, because that's what he's going to preach about next week. So, uh, you know, I, yeah, right, in an ephod, he said. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. He's going he's gonna to preach in an ephod. But, but, uh, but yeah, no, so we're going we're gonna to talk about the first part, you know, the part, the way of the Holy One or the way to God. That's what we're going to talk about today, right? But, the, but what is the way to the Holy One? We find the first answer to that question in chapters 1 through 7. We find, in, in, you know, we find in, in chapters 1 through 7 that the way to the Holy One is through sacrifice. It's through sacrifice. And the second answer to that question is found in chapters 8 through 10. You know, the way to holiness is, is, uh, to the Holy One is through the priesthood. Right? So running concurrently right, or simultaneously, you know, throughout this book, you'll find Jesus. You'll find him throughout this whole book. So first, we're going to look at how, you know, at how the way of the Holy One, the way to the Holy One is through sacrifice, all right? So why don't you open up your books with me, your Bibles with me to Leviticus 1, and we're going to read the first uh, nine verses of Leviticus 1, all right? I think it's going to be up there too anyway so so if you don't have your bible that's fine so the lord called to moses and spoke to him from the tent of meetings he said speak to the israelites and say to them when anyone among you brings an offering to the lord bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock if the offering is burnt if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd you are to offer a male without defect you must present it uh, at, uh, at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf to, t to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance of the, to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, are to put, the, put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, including the head of the and the fat, on the wood that, uh, that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water. And the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Amen. In, in verse 4 it says, You're to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. Why all the blood in the Old Testament system of worship? Why all the blood? It is understood that Old Testament sacrifices were specifically prescribed 
by God and received uh, their meaning from the Lord's covenant of relationship, their co- his covenant relationship with Israel. You know, each offering is a gift expressing love between the worshiper and the Lord. Now, as well as being considered a gift, right, each offering was an act of dedication, communion, atonement, and restitution as well. You know, two things are, are in view in the, in, with the sacrifices, right? Atonement, you know, being reconciled to God, and substitution. The worshiper gave their best and had, his, it had in place of his sin, you know, it, it, he gave his best to, as, as, a, as a, 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 um, in place of, the, of his sin and his family's sin. So he gave his best for that, right, as a sacrifice for that. But what do the sacrifices mean to me? What does it mean to us, right? You know, so one, the, the sacrifice, the, ah, the fa- sacrificial system, I can't talk today, right? Oh my goodness. You know, was pointed to God's plan to save his people. It was pointed to God's plan to save his people. The people of the Old Testament lived because another, you know, living thing died in their place. We see this throughout the whole, the Old Testament. The most dramatic story in the Old Testament, you know, is the story of Abraham. You know, Abraham was, you know, has been told by God to offer his son, Isaac, as a sacrifice. And this was the son of the promise, right? He had to offer him as a sacrifice. But just as he was about to take his son's life, you know, you know God shouts <laughs> for him to stop. He's like, stop. You know, and Abraham sees a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. Because God provided a substitute to die in the place for his son. So that was God's plan from the beginning. This is God's plan from the beginning. You know, the second, this, secondly, the, the sacrificial system was, was pointing to uh, the seriousness of our sin. To many people, you know, in our culture, in our world, you know, this seems so unnecessary. It seems so unnecessary. You know, we don't understand the seriousness of sin, and we expect God to, to, to just excuse it. We expect him to excuse it. Many believe that, that we are not sinners, right? They believe that we're not sinners, you know, I had a conversation with someone yesterday at Kingdom Seekers, and they were like, oh, you don't sin. You know, you're, you know just because I was a leader in the church, they thought that I didn't sin. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you're, yeah, you had this all wrong. <laughs> you had this all wrong. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, you have a family. You're married. You don't sin. You know, you're, you know I'm like, no, that's not how this works. You know, <laughs> that's not how that works at all. But mo- a lot of people believe that we're not, that they're not sinners. You know, that we don't need saving. You know, uh, that we only need a little help. They think that we need a, just need a little help. We don't need the gospel. You know, we, we just need some, some, some advice or something like that. Like the best ways to, to relieve stress or, or like the five or eight steps to, to a happier life or something like that. You know, the, the, all the... the self-help books or whatever it might be that, that you might read on a, on a day, daily basis. That's all we need. 
We need to know that we're sinners in need of a Savior. You know, we see on the news that, you know, we see on the news every day, oh, there might be somebody killing this person, or, or we see in the tabloids about someone committing adultery, and we say, see, that's a sinner. That's a sinner, not me, All right? I only make mistakes. I only make bad choices. I only have bad habits or something like that, but I am not a sinner. I'm not a sinner, but the Bible helps us to, to understand that people are not so much as sick as they are sinful. That they don't do these things because they have, you know, a psychological Ill illness, but because they're evil. Their actions are the result of sin, which is in their lives. You know, the Bible says, you know, in, in 1 John 1, 8, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The truth is not in us. Our problem is, that, is, is not that, that, that we, we've been damaged psychologically. Our problem is that we have lived our lives away from God and sin against him. That's our problem. Isaiah wrote in, uh, in Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have, have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. That's some strong stuff. That's some strong stuff. Sin is serious. It's serious because it separates us from God, both now and in eternity. Sin ruins our relationship with God and destroys our lives. And no amount of excuses will make it go away. No amount of excuses will make it go away. Sin is really serious. And we need to take heart. We need to take note of that. So also, the sacrificial system was also pointing to God's desire to forgive. It's pointing to God's desire to forgive. Yeah, we're sinners, but God wants to forgive. You know, God made a way out for us. He made a way out for us. His moral laws never change, and their consequences, consequences cannot be ignored. You know, but he has provided a way that we might be forgiven. He provided a way. The whole point of the sacrificial system was, uh, was that God wants to forgive us and has, has made it possible for us to live. The Bible says in, in Romans 4, 7 and 8, it says, Blessed are those trans those, they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. You know, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. That's awesome stuff. The sin that God will never count against us? No, that person's blessed. You know, when Moses asked the Lord to show, him, show himself to him, you know, Moses is up on the mountain. He's like, Lord, I want to see you. You know, and the Lord said, you can't see my face because you'll die. But, you know, I'll pass by you and you can see the back, the back of me. And uh, when Moses asked the Lord to see him, the Lord passes by him saying, you know, in Exodus uh, 34, he goes, he says, you know, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, 
abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's who God is. That's who God is. When we confess our sins, we confess them to a God who cares for us and is more than willing to forgive. That's who he is. That's who God is. You know, so also the sacrificial system was pointing to God's perfect, perfect sacrifice. You know, as we, as we read in the scripture today, you know, the person, you know, presenting the sacrifice would, would, would confess their sins and place their hands on the head of the animal, which would, be, which would die in their place. That's what they did. Their sins would be transferred to their substitute. You know, then they would, you know, watch as the, animal's life, as the animal's life was taken. You know, the seriousness of their sin, you know, was shown to them vividly. They watched the, 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 you know, the animal being slaughtered at that time. You know, it was vividly shown to them. And the animal would then be placed on the altar and offered to God as a sacrifice. Life for life. Life for life. You know, the blood of the animal, you know, the blood of the animal was represented their blood, was their blood. It was blood for blood. You know, the blood of the animal, you know, far from being gory, you know, was sacred because the life of the animal was in the blood. The life in that blood had passed to one, uh, uh, passed to one whose sins who were atoned for, that, that were atoned for. So the blood of the animal atoned for our, of the person's sin, making a sacrifice. But there was a problem, right? What was the problem? Had to keep doing it. Why? Because it kept on singing, sinning, right? It kept on sinning. We keep on sinning. There was no end. There was no end to the sacrificing of these animals. No end. It kept going on and on and on. No, it was not the perf- is not a perfect system. But what could be done, right? What could be done? God knew that there was only one thing that could be done. And he had planned it from the beginning. He planned it from the beginning. There needed to be one sacrifice for all people for all time. For all people for all time. The perfect, the perfect sacrifice is hinted at, in, you know, in the New Testament, you know, as it opens, we hear John the Baptist saying, you know, he points to Jesus and he says, Be, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John says. He sees Jesus, he looks at him, he points, he's, he goes, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Bible teaches that Jesus was not, was not just another good man or a moral teacher. He wasn't. He was not just a prophet or religious leader. Jesus Christ was God who came in flesh as one of us. As a perfect man, he came to undo the sin of Adam. He came to undo all the sins of from eternity past to for all time. 
He died to uh, identify with the sins of the entire human race. As God, he came to take our place and, and, and atone for our sin. You know, the entire sacrificial system was temporary and pointed to the future. It pointed to the future. It meant to give Israel a, a living picture of what it would mean for the Messiah, the Savior, uh, to come and die in their place. That's what it did. It pointed to the future. It pointed to Jesus. It pointed to the ultimate sacrifice. It pointed to the ultimate provision for their sins. You know, in Isaiah, he, he prophesied about him. In Isaiah 53, he says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smit, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own way, and, God, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It's powerful, 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 powerful stuff. You know, the apostle Peter wrote, he wrote later on, he goes, you know, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been, saved, been healed. That's in First Peter. And at the Last Supper, Jesus, you know, said to his disciples, this is my, the, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Powerful stuff. You know, there's a story about a, uh, a guy, and he was, you know, he was planting flowers on a, on, on a recent grave of a little cemetery, in, you know, in the west somewhere. Uh, and a young man seemed overcome, the young man seemed overcome with emotion. You know, a stranger passing by thought to comfort him by speaking a kind word. You know, and, he, and, he, and as he drew near, he observed a small cross at the top of the grave, which, which, you know, which had the words, he died for me. The words were on there, it said, he died for me. And the story, it was briefly told that, you know, during the Vietnam War, you know, this young man, who was the only, was the only child, was called to the front. You know, his parents were so crazy with, with anxiety and grief because, you know, they, it was, he was their only son, and they knew, chances are, he was going to die. Now, a cousin of his, you know, who was an orphan, basically, uh, volunteered to take his place. In the first battle, he was killed. The young man lived because his substitute died, and he loved, you know, you know, he, he loved to, to confess that. He, he knew that he was only alive because his cousin had taken his place. Jesus Christ was the perfect Lamb of God who died in our place that we might live. He is our substitute, the perfect sacrifice. You know, he said that I have come to give, that, that, that they might have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus said. As with, as with Abraham and Isaac, God has provided Christ 
as our substitute who suffered and died in our place. So the, whole, the, the way to the Holy One is through sacrifice. It's through sacrifice. Now the second part of that, you know, the answer to that was the way to holiness was, you know, the way to holiness is through the priests. So, yeah, we have plenty of time. So don't, don't feel like, you know, <laughs> it's, way, it's, it's through the priests, right? And so only the priests and we read in Leviticus, so only the priests uh, in Israel were qualified to make the sacrifices required for those who approached God. Only the priests could do that. Only the Levites could do that. Now, priesthood, you know, only, it was only men from Aaron's family. They were, they, were, they were the only ones permitted to serve as priests. Their function was uh, to present sacrifices to God to seek God's guidance for the nation of, or individuals, to, to instruct the people in God's law, you know, uh, to serve as judges in certain cases, to serve as, as, uh, as guardians of the covenant and, and of uh, uh, Israel's sanctuary and, and sacred tre- treasures. This is what the priesthood did right back in the day. And so the priests... Were, were mediators between God and the nation of Israel. They, pre- they represented the people to God. They, re- they represented the people to God by offering sacrifices and incense and, and by leading worship and by praying for divine guidance. You know, they also represented God to the people, right? For the priests instructed Israel in God's law. They were channels through which God communicated his will, and served as, as living reminders that God forgives, you know, sinning people. They were, they, were, they were reminders of that. You know, now the high priest, you know, the Old Testament high priest um, had one duty that set him apart from all the other members of the priesthood. He and he alone entered the Holy of Holies on the annual Day of Atonement, carrying the sacrificial blood which God promised would cover all the sins of his people. That was his, that was his you know, job. And we all, re- we all remember in Sunday school, you know, what would happen if he, uh, you know, was a sinner, right? Because he would go in, you know, and he would have like a rope tied to his leg and it had a bell on it. And as long as the bell was, you know, ringing as he walked around in the Holy of Holies, he was all good. But once the bell... <laughs> Stop ringing. Guess what? That means he was uh, he was uh, dead because he was uh, he was sin. He was sinful, um, and they would have to pull him out with the rope because they couldn't go in either. Right? So that was like that was. I remember that from Sunday school. That was a funny story. I thought, but uh, or interesting story. Interesting, funny. Right? But um, but yeah. But he he uh, he he would do the sacrifice for you know for all the sins for all the people. And the New Testament. Pr- presents Jesus as a true high priest. See, it all points to Jesus. You know, the sacrifice points to Jesus. The priesthood points to Jesus because Jesus is the true high priest. You know, he entered heaven himself, you know, with his own blood. As our, as our high priest, Jesus made the one sacrifice of himself, which won, you know, all who believe in eternity— 
all who believe in him eternal salvation. That's what it won. That's what it got us. Eternal salvation. The, the Bible tells us that Jesus has fully completed the requirements of, the, of our high priest. He completed all the requirements of our high priest. Um, and this, we're going to go through a few, we're going to go through some of those, or all of them. How about that? So number one, he was both human and divine, right? In Hebrews 2, 17, it says, for, his, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He was both human and divine. Number two, he was sympathetic. In Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He's very sympathetic. He knows what we've been through. He knows what we go through every day. You know, he, number three, he was divinely appointed. He's divinely appointed. Hebrews 5.5, 5, it says, In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. He was appointed. He was appointed. And he was sinless. He's sinless, right? In Hebrews 7, 26, it says, such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He's exalted. He's sinless, pure, set apart for us. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect high priest. He's eternal. Hebrews 6.20 says, Where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Eternally high priest. Eternally high, the high priest. And finally, he's exalted. You know, Hebrews 8, 1, it says, Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do not have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. No, we do have such a high priest. We have a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the, th on the, of the throne of, the ma of majesty in heaven. He's exalted. And the Bible says that, you know, it's a name, his name is a, na is a name that's above every other name. Christ is a perfect sinless sacrifice. The lamb slain from the, from, from the foundations of the world. And he's our perfect high priest who stands before the throne of God, always, always making intercession on our behalf.
says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Christ died for sin once and for all. Once and for all. The just for the unjust. And God takes our sin and sinfulness and, you know, it says there, he takes our sin and our sinfulness and puts it on him, right? He puts it on, he puts it on, on Christ and nailed our sinfulness to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Christ dies and rises again on the third day for our justification so that we're justified. And the righteousness of Christ is actually placed on us or put on or basically stuck to us. It's stuck to us. And God takes our sin and puts it on Christ and takes his righteousness and puts it on us. That's crazy stuff. You know, so God becomes the just and the justifier of whoever places their faith in Jesus Christ so that all who come to Christ can enter in. That's amazing, amazing stuff. So that all who place their faith in Christ might be saved. But not only saved, right, but sanctified. Because we're, we're, he's the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. That's what our Bible teaches us. We're justified and, and, and adopted, you know, into the family of God. You know, and as his children, we start to look like him, right? We start to take on, you know, you know his characteristics. You know, we have this amazing hope. And we're, and we're continually saved throughout this, this life so that one day, one day, we're not only saved from the penalty of sin, we're not saved from the power of sin, but we're also, we're glorified and we're saved from the presence of sin. That's the gospel. That's an amazing gospel that we preach. That is the gospel. And it's, it's enough. It's, it's better than, you know, the, the, the five steps to, to a better life. It's greater than, you know, all the, the self-help, you know, we're going to, you know, get life together and, and relieve all of our stress and, 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 and make millions of dollars, whatever it might be. gospel is enough. The sacrifice that Jesus made is enough. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, <laughs> I don't know what can. And if it doesn't get you excited, I don't know. Maybe your relationship with the Father is not right. I don't know.
Maybe you're doing like the, noble, the, the great things that, that Christians should be doing, all the noble things, but do you really know him as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Can you say with confidence that God is your heavenly Father? Can you say, you know, with confidence that your sins are forgiven and that your name is written in God's book of life? Can you actually say that? If you're unsure, but desire to have that confidence of knowing Jesus, you know, as your personal Savior, you know, and God as your Father, and knowing that your sins are forgiven, we can pray today. We can pray today. Now, why don't we all bow our heads? Why don't we bow our heads? And if you're here today, if you don't know uh, Jesus as your personal Savior, if, you don't, if you're not confident that your sins are forgiven, if you're not confident that God is your Heavenly Father, just pray with me today. Say, so, dear Lord Jesus, you know, I know I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. Now I want you to turn, I want to turn from my sins. I want to repent of my sins. I now invite you into my heart and life. I want to trust you. Lord, I want to trust you as Savior and follow you as Lord. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for me. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I thank you for changing my life and making me into the person that you want me to be. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Amen.